0: Welcome to the Take 5 podcast from Fortinet. You give us a few minutes, and we provide five cybersecurity insights based on the current trends impacting today's technology leaders. This podcast series taps into the experience from the Fortinet Field CISO team, focusing on cybersecurity strategies for addressing cyber risk. I'm your host, Michael Brown, Fortinet CISO for Financial Services. And today, we're talking with Jim Richburg. Coordinates Field CISO for the Public Sector and Vice President of Information Security. And he's talking about the cybersecurity strategies for addressing cyber risk in the public sector. Welcome,
1: Jim. Hey, Mike. It's great to be with you.
0: So, Jim, I'll jump right into it. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I'll start with the first question. Let's talk about cyber risk. How would you characterize the cyber risk in the public sector today?
1: Mike, that's a great question, and and let's first start by defining the public sector, because the reality is it's not a monolithic target, and this is not one-size-fits-all, either in terms of the threat or in terms of its capability. Uh, you have state and local government. Uh, state government has a set of capabilities. Local government has, as a rule, fewer capabilities. And the kinds of threats they face are things like ransomware. Uh, where these are people, these are teams that are under-resourced, both in terms of people and in terms of money. And we're in the process now of putting a lot of money investment into state and local government, either to spend it or to pass it on to private sector partners for this infrastructure refresh. You had 1.2 trillion dollars uh, in the in the bill that Congress passed on infrastructure enhancement, so you've got people who are are now looking at digitally refreshing dozens of kinds of infrastructures, building the equivalent of the digital superhighway on steroids. And this is an area where state and local government need a lot of help. And then you've got the federal. Uh, you know, we talk about nation-state activity, advanced persistent threats. Those have traditionally gone against the federal government. But the reality is, the federal government moves a ton of money as well, so they're also an attractive target for purely criminal, financially driven targets. So again, it's a nuanced target. You have uh, you have one type of threat and one set of capabilities that really characterize state and local government. Then you have a more capable set of act, of resources, uh, but also, as a rule, more capable threat actors working at the national
0: level. No, your sector is very broad. It's very diverse. And thank you for talking about it more. And, you know, coming from the financial services back, you know, background, you're, you're, you know, you cover the Federal Reserve Bank. That's that's what monetary policy is set. Uh, This can be a broad question considering everything you do cover, but really describe what is at risk when there is a cyber attack in the public sector?
1: So, you know, Mike, this belies my background as an intelligence analyst because the first thing you do is start with definitions and you define the term. You know, when we talk about cyber attack, it's really a broad phrase. Uh, I'm not a fan of it because attack always sounds like something that's disruptive or destructive. And the reality is most of the malicious activity that happens is stealing. You know, it's a theft of data or of money. Um, Then there's the disruption of services. Uh, There's the targeting now for the public sector of things like uh, malign influence, targeting election systems and perceptions as well. Uh, And then, of course, you've got national security—the classic espionage that's directed against secrets, classified, sensitive information—or again, the federal government moves a ton of money uh, and um, and targeting. resources, financial resources as well. But setting aside that that thought that, you know, you can deny essential services, you can steal people's sensitive information, I think the biggest risk that we worry about in the public sector is one that even people in the public sector don't often think about. And that is confidence, citizen confidence. Because you know, you come from you work with the financial sector, Mike. If I don't like the way my bank handles my financial and my personal information, I decide to do banking with someone else. Same thing with retail. I don't have that choice when it comes to government. I'm compelled to share sensitive personal and financial information with government. I don't get to pick who to pay taxes to. So if having required me to give information to them, they then prove to be less than competent stewards of that information, it starts to erode citizen trust and confidence. In the competence of government, and we've got enough of that going around already that we don't need to exacerbate that for cybersecurity reasons.
0: Bring up some great points. I never really thought about it like that, but especially with the tax season coming up, you know, I can't not submit to the IRS. There is no alternative. So you you are right on
1: there. Or, or you've got kids, and you know, you're at some point going to do a financial aid form before you send your kids off to college. The you know, Department of Education holds almost as much information as the IRS does about the the finances and personal lives of american citizens.
0: No, you're right, the personal identifiable information and you're right, the criminal actors want to monetize that. They're looking for ways to monetize it and that's one of the bigger threats we have. So, speaking of that, what are some of the effective strategies that used or can be used to reduce complexity? Given the challenges you have in the public sector organizations
1: face today, so Mike, this month, federal government, the the White House released a new national cyber strategy, um, and I'm going to say it involves the three R's, and it don't be reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, the three R's that I'm going to mention are resilience, risk, and responsibility. Uh, this strategy says. We need to build cyber resilience. It's the idea of saying we need greater, we need defense in depth. We need to move to things like uh, uh, zero trust. We need to recognize that it is a crazy paradigm to say our security is dependent on the least capable, the end-use, small organizations and individuals exercising perfect cyber vigilance. When they make a mistake, bad things happen. So what it says is for companies like Fortinet and for big public sector organizations, we need to move as much of the risk and responsibility as we can from those least capable actors to those of us who can make the systemic changes to absorb it. Two of the phrases that have come out of this new strategy are secure by design and secure by default. And the analogy I I think of is Back in 1960, before we had mandatory seatbelts in cars, it was really the driver's sole almost sole responsibility to avoid getting killed in a car crash. Uh, and since then, we've had seatbelts, we've got all sorts of other things. You've got highway designs that are now designed to help keep you on the road. We've recognized that, yes, even in your Tesla, the driver is ultimately responsible for safety, but we've recognized that there's a lot that can be done systemically by manufacturers, by others in the ecosystem to provide security. And that's really what we're trying to do with the strategy is to say, look, it shouldn't be left to that small local government to figure out how to defend itself solely. I mean, Mike, you've been in this business like I have for a long time. And remember, there was a time when we bemoaned, why don't people change their passwords? Because devices were shipping with, with passwords like admin or 123456, and then people didn't change them. Well, what it took was the, shifting that responsibility to the manufacturers so that now each device ship has the unique barcode or the unique password on the machine and people still may not get around to changing it, but at least it's a strong password and a unique password coming in. So these are the kinds of things they're trying to do to help manage. Uh, you, you're familiar with CIS, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, It has put out a set of cyber performance goals that are supposed to be a set of cyber essentials that small and medium business and individuals should adopt. Uh, And this is a way of saying we're going to try to reduce complexity. You and I have talked about complexity. Make it easy for the people who have to do this and don't have the expertise, don't have the cybersecurity resources. Make it easy for them to do the right thing. And the final point I'd make is... You get further in a cybersecurity strategy when you work with technology trends rather than in ignorance of them or even worse against them. And you know, you and I have talked about the convergence of networking and security so that you can say, I can solve a problem of performance in a fashion that's inherently secure because it's the same thing that's enabling my networking and enabling it to be cons- uh, secure. And similarly, consolidation, the fact that you're now having point products that are not only more powerful, they can do more functions, but you're seeing consolidation on the vendor side into these ecosystems of of integrated interoperability, whether from one vendor, whether from a family of vendors who share data and the ability to partner. So these are the elements that I tell public sector people they should do. They should leverage what they're actually being directed to by this new strategy. They should look to things like the performance goals and they should remain aware of where technology is going so that they can swim with the, with the current rather than trying to fight their way upstream. So,
0: well, thank you. That's great information. I know it's relevant to the public sector, but I think it really resonates with basically every company out there, I feel, every, every sector. Uh, I have another question, Jim. What are ways to reduce the attack surface in government to avoid malicious cyber actors from disrupting their businesses?
1: Now, you know, Mike, I'm again, I, you know, I keep saying language def- definitions. I'm not a fan of the term attack surface. Uh, you know, I've had people point guns at me. I've been shot. I, I like to avoid being attacked. I think what we're facing is digital transformation. It's a reality and it's an opportunity. So, you know, let's call this a digital surface. I think that's truer to what it is. Um, and it's it's basically a reality that we've got to learn to with. So uh, for state and local government, I think one way to reduce that that digital service, that attack surface, is to try to bake security into everything they do. I've talked about their role in both providing citizen services, because when you think of the public sector, who do you deal with in your everyday life? It's state and even more so local government, more than it is the federal government. Let's set aside tax season. Let's set aside elections. You deal with your local, with city hall. You deal with, you know, the trash pick. So enabling these people to do things in a secure fashion is important. And not only are they under-resourced in terms of doing cybersecurity, they are woefully, woefully under-resourced in cybersecurity expertise when it comes to, to making contracts, to actually trying to specify what they need done in cybersecurity terms. But, so I'm actually spearheading an IT sector activity that's trying to make a virtual library of existing contract language that someone, in many cases, the federal government, but in some cases, other state and local governments, have come up with. Why make somebody reinvent the wheel? when well, There's probably a, a perfectly good set of wheels of different sizes and treads that somebody, you can point somebody to, as well as best practices. Uh, the other issue that, that I'd raise about reducing the attack surface is, spend a lot of time trying to help people with whole bowl of government uh, integration of security, whether it's parts of a state, whether it's parts of a, of a major local uh, locality like New York City, where they've got very, very complex cyber ecosystem. And I try to point out to them the various approaches they can take to integrate or federate their security and the pitfalls. And then I tell them there's a set of common building blocks that they can leverage uh, for these approaches. There's cyber threat intelligence. You can't defend yourself against a threat that you don't understand and therefore aren't going to be able to detect. There's leveraging AI powered on it maybe because we're way past the days when you did cybersecurity solely from, from from scratch manually. Um, I tell them, start from a commercial off-the-shelf product perspective. Look to things like, uh, you know, SIM tools, so the ways of dealing with pulling data on what is happening in your security environment together and then of orchestrating response. And then I say leverage platform. Uh, both things like the Fortinet security fabric and cloud infrastructures as points of departure for doing this. Because there really are smart ways to talk about both reducing your digital attack surface and doing a more efficient job at managing the risk that is posed by living in that digital.
0: It definitely makes sense to get you there faster too, because you're not reinventing the wheel. You're using building blocks that are tried and intrude for other other organizations, so that definitely makes a lot of sense, Jim. Thank you. So, my last question for you: How does leveraging the Fortinet security fabric help governments reduce cyber risk?
1: You know, Mike, this is this is actually a point that I'm really passionate about, and this is, in fact, the reason I joined Fortinet. You know, I was responsible the national level for uh, for managing cybersecurity at one point uh, for for the whole of government activity, and uh, when I retired from government. I thought that there, this was an unmet technological need. And then I ran into the Fortinet security fabric and what other companies were doing that were similar. Ours is the most, we were we have the, the first mover uh, advantage. Ours is the broadest, the most mature, the most advanced. Uh, but, you know, if you come up with a, with a good idea and nobody copies you, then you kind of got to question your logic. So this was an idea where I said, my goodness, government has to avoid reinventing the you know we talk about that that digital attack surface and which is shorthand for size and complexity and i don't know what I don't know and i'm overwhelmed by volume and the reality is if you take something like the security fabric and say i'm putting instrumentation out there i'm putting it out there at the edges I'm putting it in the core can i instrument everything maybe maybe not but i'm instrumenting the important parts the intersections where things touch the assets that i care about And these instrumentation, uh, the devices are sensory. The sensors are generating data, what they're seeing. Um, And we have developed the artificial intelligence and machine learning over a decade to actually allow us to make sense of what we're seeing in real time. It's as if we have a barometer or a thermometer that lets us know at any moment what is normal. And it lets us know what is abnormal. And machine learning is really good at saying this is normally abnormal, This is definitely a potentially malicious. And as somebody who spent part of his career on the dark side, you know, working on offensive cyber, it's only in Hollywood that that malicious actors succeed the first time they try something. Somebody sits down, you know, writes a program, compiles it, zips around the world, goes through 50 hot points, hits its target, and game over. Attackers typically try and fail innumerable times before they succeed. They rely on hiding in the doorways. The defender can't see them, doesn't understand significance, whether it's in fact even a, a genuine activity or an anomaly when they see it. The kind of instrumentation the fabric brings to bear uh, allows you to see them trying and failing before they succeed. The machine learning is good at letting you have a reasonable sense of what they're trying to do. You inoculate yourself where they're trying to attack You then can inoculate the rest of the organization against it. And because this is genuinely a global system, you actually can can be defended from something that's happening against someone in another sector or even another country. So I look at this and say the fabric-based approach, where most of the work is actually done at the back end by the OEM, by the person curating the data link, is actually a game changer, returning size and complexity from one of our biggest problems. Into one of our biggest potential advantages. I'm not passionate about this, Mike. I'm not,
0: <laughs> not at all. but I, I definitely agree with you. I know as far as machine learning, the bigger your data center set, the more powerful it can be. And we have the biggest data set out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see torrents of data. We, you know, we've gotten good at being able to parse it. And uh, you know, this is something that has the potential to be a game changer. And you can baby step your way into. It. You don't have to tell somebody you have to buy it all at once. You know, you can, you can incrementally uh, make it match with somebody's um, technology upgrade and migration path to say you could get into this one step at a time and you're still able to take the benefits from what other people are seeing.
0: No, I definitely agree. And Jim, as always, it's a, always a pleasure talk, uh, talking to you. And uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of Take 5. For more information about the public sector, visit our website, www. Dot fortinet.com forward/government. The Take by podcast is brought to you by Fortinet, securing your digital acceleration with the performance and scale needed to detect and prevent threats across an organization's entire infrastructure, including networks, endpoints, and clouds.